The following program contains disturbing content that may be in settings and situations similar to your own. Discretion is advised. America's heartland, flyover country, shaking dice at the cafe for morning coffee, crop prices and rainfall, a day's work for a day's pay, business conducted on a handshake, where a man is as good as his word, church socials, town team baseball. But as the sun sets on this piece of Americana, there is no immunity from the darkness. There are things dare not spoken, and thoughts recessed in the corner of a man's mind, masked by the roar of a summer thunderstorm, hidden in the silence of winter snow, yet peering from the darkness in the shadows of the Midwest. following episode is made up of excerpts from statements, reports, and interviews contained in the 940-page VCA file. Smith County Sheriff's Office, Tyler, Texas. Supplementary Report, Criminal Investigation Division. 112.88. On 1.788, Detective Melody McKay placed Robert Leroy Nelson in jail, charged with aggravated sexual assault. Mr. Nelson had confessed to his pastor, Ronald Bernier, that he had sexually abused his child and turned himself in to law enforcement authorities. On the day Mr. Nelson came to the SO, Melody read him his rights immediately. I then asked Mr. Nelson if he knew what he was doing and the seriousness of the charge. He acknowledged that he did and wished to make a statement. Today, Mr. Bernier, Mr. Nelson's pastor, came to our office looking for Detective McKay. I informed him that she was off and would not be back for several days. Mr. Bernier advised me that he had just talked to Robert Nelson, and Robert told him that he had killed a girl in Minnesota. Mr. Bernier couldn't relay much because the visiting hours are noisy and he couldn't hear real well, but believed Robert said he and his partner had assaulted a hitchhiker and then killed her. Mr. Bernier said he would come back on visiting day. I told Mr. Bernier that if he could come back tomorrow, I would make arrangements for him to talk to Robert in a room in person instead of visitations over the phone. I then called the Minnesota State Patrol and was put in touch with Colonel Roger Letting, Chief of the Minnesota State Patrol. I informed Colonel Letting of the charges against Nelson, and Colonel Letting stated that he knew Robert Nelson and that he was employed from 1970 to 1985 as a state trooper. I then told Colonel Letting that Nelson also told his pastor of a possible homicide that Nelson committed. I told Colonel Letting that the pastor mentioned something to the effect that Nelson said he and his partner killed a girl. Colonel Letting said they did not have a partner per se that rode with them, more of a buddy program that another officer worked in another car in the same vicinity. A person that worked with Nelson was also on criminal charges in Minnesota for sexual assault of their child and had been discharged from the Minnesota State Patrol. Colonel Letting asked me to call Mock Shields, a special agent in charge of Criminal Apprehension Division. I called Mr. Shields and told him briefly of what myself and Colonel Letting had discussed 
Mr. Shields stated he did not know of any unsolved murders right offhand, but he would check. I told him when I got more information, I would call him back. Investigative Lieutenant David Turner, Smith County Sheriff's Office. Welcome to Shadows of the Midwest, Season 1, Secrets of County Ditch Number 5, Episode 3, What About Bob? And I will faithfully and impartially discharge the duties of State Patrol Trooper. Robert Leroy Nelson was born near Pipestone, Minnesota on August 8, 1946 to Thomas and Margie Nelson. After graduating from Pipestone High School in 1968, he married wife Diane. In July of 1970, he graduated from the Minnesota State Patrol Academy and was assigned to the Mankato District in the Blue Earth, Minnesota area. The couple moved to a farmstead near Elmore, Minnesota. He and Diane divorced in 1973 with no children for reasons of incompatibility. In April of 1974, he married his wife Susan, with whom he had three children. In January of 1981, Nelson requested and received a transfer within the State Patrol from the Blue Earth area to the Detroit Lake Station. The family moved to the Vergas area of Ottertail County. Accounts state that around this time, Susan met a Kathy Bernier while grocery shopping. Kathy told Susan that her husband ran a home church and invited her to Bible study. In September of 1984, the Nelsons joined Berniers into the Light Ministries. In July of 1985, Nelson retired from the Minnesota State Patrol as a result of physical problems and incompatibility with his faith. Shortly after, Nelson sold the majority of his possessions and followed the church to Texas. Reports state that they lived in Mineola, Texas for approximately six months, then moving to Lindale, Texas until July of 1986, and then moving to El Paso before moving back to the Tyler, Texas area in January of 1987. In April of that year, Robert was sent to De La Silla, Mexico to do mission work due to internal conflicts as well as issues with his wife and the church. And in the beginning of January 1988, he returned to the Tyler, Texas area. Into the Light Ministries is proud to present your alarm call with Reverend Ron Bernier. Now we ask you to sit back and open your mind and your spirit to what God has to say to you on your alarm call. Into the Light Ministries will have a large part to play in the story of Robert Nelson. Before we continue, let's examine what we know about the ministry's history. From some accounts, Into the Light Ministries was incorporated by Ronald Bernier around 1982. In 1983, they listed an address out of a residence on Northeast Pierce Street in Minneapolis. At some point after, they moved to the Vergas, Minnesota area as a sort of house church. There are a handful of things published about the ministry. The first was a posting in the Minneapolis Star Tribune dated February of 1985. It was a post advertising a 12-week intensive course featuring teachers from across the United States beginning March 1st of 1985. The next mention we found 
was May 22nd of 1985, an Associated Press article titled Man Charged with Assault of Minister. Dateline, Fergus Falls, Minnesota, Associated Press. A Minnesota man has been charged with assault for allegedly using a stun gun against a minister in removing his daughter from a religious training center. Andrew Kessler of rural Sabika also was charged with trespassing in an incident involving the Reverend Vincent Canucci of the Antioch Christian Center near Vergus, Minnesota. According to the complaint filed in the Ottertail County District Court, Gannucci told Ottertail County authorities that Kessler, his wife Margie, and two sons entered his residence on May 5th and took Victoria Kessler, age 27, from the house which doubles as the center. According to the complaint, Gannucci said Kessler used a stun gun or other electrical device on him during the scuffle. Ottertail County attorney Michael Kirk said the couple wanted to have their daughter deprogrammed. They were basically concerned that she was somehow being brainwashed and robbed of her will to leave. There was no evidence that the woman was being held involuntarily in the residence, Kirk added. Gannucci told authorities that Victoria was there voluntarily. Kirk said police talked to Victoria and she says she is safe and doesn't want to go back to the church. The Minnesota Supreme Court ruled in 1980 that parents may seize their adult children in certain situations to deprogram them. The U.S. Supreme Court declined in 1981 to review the decision. The Reverend Robert Bernier, senior pastor of the Antioch Christian Center, said Victoria and others were living in the house during a 12-week training program. Gannucci is the program in-house counselor, Bernier said. Into the Light Ministries has been conducting services and classes at the Antioch Christian Center, a converted farmhouse in Edna Township, for about a year, Bernier said. Bernier stated that the incident was the first of its kind for Into the Light Ministries, which he said was begun by him and his wife. A second article dated June 19, 1995. Cult life glossed over reality, woman says, Associated Press, in Sabika, Minnesota. A Sabika woman who was forcibly removed by her parents from the Antioch Christian Center last May now says she was a victim of mind control. Victoria Kessler, 27, described the group that runs the center into the light ministries as a cult. We thought we were living a more fully Christian life than the rest of the world, she said. She was enrolled in a 12-week training program through the Into the Light Ministries when her parents forced her to leave. Her father, Andrew Kessler, has pleaded innocent to assault and trespassing charges. Into the Light Ministries was founded by Reverend Ronald Bernier about five years ago. Bernier had had churches in Howley, Hitterdahl, and Minneapolis and had moved to the Vergus area in November. Bernier and his followers reportedly have moved the church to Texas, they could not be reached for comment on Kessler's charges, but had said that Into the Light is not a cult. Kessler, an honors graduate from Moorhead State University, said she was disgruntled with her job and unhappy with her church life when she met Vincent Canucci, a member of Into the Light. Kessler and Canucci, who had joined the ministry two and a half years earlier and helped raise money for the group in Minneapolis, dated a few times and talked about his work. 
Gannucci eventually told Kessler he was seeing another woman, but that God had directed him to teach her more about the Bible. Her first experience at the Virgus Church was a thunderstorm of prophecy, she said. She began to believe God had a plan for her in Virgus, so she gave notice at her Minneapolis apartment and moved. Gannucci was the in-house counselor when Kessler moved to the discipleship house. About a half dozen others ranging in age from 23 to 28 also lived there. The group was like a family, she said. You wanted to be around them. Everyone helped one another. There was a lot of love there, and that's a strong attraction, she said. Classes and household chores at the center kept her too busy to deal with her doubts, she said. Trainees were expected to study five books of the Bible each week, plus complete extra assigned reading and prepare for weekly tests. You're living your life for the spiritual and everything goes towards that. Other things are glossed over, she said. Now that she is piecing her life back together, Kessler relates her experience with the Into the Light Ministries to buying something you don't need because the sales pitch is so overpowering. But what you're bargaining for is your life instead of some product. Your life and your mind, she said. Some additional information. Uh, charges against Kessler's father and brothers were eventually dropped when Into the Light Ministries failed to appear for their hearing. And also, Into the Light Ministries doesn't exist today under new leadership and with a different focus that seems to be going to uh, African mission work. I hope to have more on their current status in a later episode. The following contains excerpts of Robert Nelson's written statement given to Detective Melody McKay after he presented himself to the Smith County Sheriff's Office on January 7, 1988. The three-page handwritten document has been edited for brevity, and for clarification, up to this point, Nelson was not sought, questioned, or accused of any criminal activity. I once again remind her that some content can be graphic and disturbing, so listener discretion is advised. Statement of Robert Leroy Nelson, date 1-7-1988, time 1.34 p.m., location Smith County Sheriff's Office. My name is Robert Leroy Nelson. My date of birth is 8-8-46. I have been warned by Melanie McKay, the person to whom I am making this statement. I began molesting children when I was about 12 years old. My parents and other couples, neighbors, would go out to party and I was left in charge of the kids. One girl was about four years old and I would lay with her under a blanket and take down her pants and rub my penis against her. This occurred on maybe eight to ten occasions. I never forced it to become intercourse, only molesting by fondling her. Another girl I did the same thing with in my bedroom. Again, I was about 12 years old and she was about nine. I molested a niece when I lived in Elmore, Minnesota. I was about 28 years old and she was six or seven. The last time I did anything to her was at my property, in the woods. I tried to stimulate her vagina with my finger, but she said it hurt, so I stopped after a couple of minutes. At this point, she was about 11. I have continually had the desire, as long as I can remember, for exposure or molesting children. Over the years, I exposed myself dozens of times around public wayside rest areas, or parks, occasionally near schools. I looked in windows occasionally. I did a lot of window peeking when I was young, a 
11 to 15 years old, and some continued right through living in Lindale in El Paso, Texas one year ago. I've been able only in the last months to stay out of those things by the grace of God, but the desire is still with me. During the last few months I've been living in Mexico and searching in my heart for my problems and the need I have to change to face my problems. It was while living in Mexico that I became aware of the fact that my molestation had not only continued, but it came to include redacted. I came to realize that I had molested redacted over and over for a period of many years. I can feel the words, no ow, and cries of pain. They come from both redacted and from the dark recess of my hurt when my father raped me. I see myself standing between two mirrors, one looking back at the time of my childhood and the other looking at redacted. And the hurt and the hatred and the awful realization going in both directions in my life. I was very big into guns and violence and anger and many times in my life gave halfway thought to suicide as a way to stop the hurt and pain of reality. But mostly I just ignored or denied the problems and sort of hoped they would fade away. Now I have come back here for the help I need to straighten out my life and solve the problems. I need to be released from this prison of my mind, of the horrible, awful stuff I never wanted to see. I have put redacted in a mental hospital, maybe forever. My children and my wife are nearly destroyed emotionally, all because of my and my problems with molesting. The desire I could not control and couldn't fix and couldn't stop. I need help and lots of it. And as soon as possible, I can't help myself anymore to face the truth and finally admit my responsibility. I have done everything that my son has said and probably more occurring over a continued period of many years. I wish I knew why. Statement taken by Melody McKay, signed Robert L. Nelson. The following contains excerpts from an interview with Ronald Thomas Bernier, pastor of Interlight Ministries, with special agent Robert Berg on 331 of 1988. Agent Berg, the date is March 31st, 1988. The time is 1312. The following is a tape-recorded statement which is being taken from Ronald Thomas Bernier at the Smith County Sheriff's Office in Tyler, Texas. Officers present are Agent Robert A. Berg of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, Sheriff Roger Fletcher and Chief Deputy Jerry Cabe of the Faribault County Sheriff's Office, as well as Sheriff Jerry Nutt of the Martin County Sheriff's Office. Also present is Ronald's wife, Kathy. Okay, Ron, uh, we are here for the reason that uh, over the last couple months we have received information through the Smith County Sheriff's Office relative to one Bob Nelson. Mr. Nelson is currently incarcerated here in Smith County for criminal sexual conduct with his son. And during that investigation, certain information came to light through yourself and through Bob directly to the investigators here in Smith County that Bob may have information or may have been involved in at least one, possibly two homicides in Minnesota. We're here to talk about that. 
Uh, to begin with, I guess I would like to have a little bit of information about your background, exactly uh, who you are, where you're from, and how you eventually ended up in Texas. Ronald Bernier. Okay, as I said, my name is Ron Bernier. I am a senior pastor at the Into the Light Ministries, which is a uh, 501c tax-exempt ministry, which started in Minnesota about 11, 11 and a half years ago. Uh, we started in Minneapolis. Uh, we were incorporated in Minneapolis. Uh, we moved to Vergus, Minnesota, where I met Bob and his wife visiting his children. Uh, we moved here in Texas in May of 1985. We have a drug rehabilitation center here in Tyler, 15 acres. Uh, we also have a place in Mineola where we care for people who are out of mental institutions and alcoholics, etc. Plus, we have our residence in Mineola. Uh, as we say, we've known Bob. Uh, we met him in Fergus, and uh, well, it's been about four and a half years now. Bob had a, a job with the Minnesota Highway Patrol. A Class A credit rating would be ideal citizen, I guess you could say. Shortly after he started attending the church, we had a multitude of problems with him, and uh, ranging from what we believed to be sexual molestation of his child to beating his wife and a multitude of things. Berg. When did it first become apparent to you or come to your attention that there was something of a sexual nature going on between Bob and Redacted? Rainier. About the second week they had ever come to church. Berg. And again, that would have been in approximately... Kathy Bernier. September. Robert Bernier. Uh, I refer to my wife because she knows the dates and I don't. Berg. That's fine. Bernier. I, I, I'm guessing now. September. Kathy Bernier. Late September, early October of 84. Robert Berg. How did that information come to your attention? Is it something? Bernier. Let me, let me see how you put this on one of your police reports. I was preaching about the second or third week he was there, and I had a word of knowledge from the Lord. That redacted. I didn't know redacted personally, other than I'd seen him in church. I didn't know that child, really, but I had a word of knowledge, and I spoke it from the pulpit that redacted, was being involved in, in rape, was being molested, and that there was a, a very, very serious problem going on in their lives. At that time, I publicly in the church talked to both Bob and Susan. They denied any knowledge of it. They didn't know what was happening. Uh, we talked to them, I guess, seven or eight times thereafter, and they totally denied any knowledge of it at any time. In fact, it was just probably four or five months, six months maybe, before he came into Smith County Jail that he finally began to admit it. Berg. Okay. At that time, and again, do you recall the dates? Bernier. I could get them for you. Uh, like I say, Berg. Okay. You say it was four or five months before he came into jail here. Bernier. Yeah. How long was he in Mexico? Kathy Bernier. He was in Mexico for eight months. Ronald Bernier. Okay, I'm sorry. It was probably uh, eight or nine months then because it was just before he went to Mexico. Berg. Okay, so we're backing up to either uh, May or June of 19. Bernier. I could look it up for you I, and get back to you. 
Kathy Bernier. It could have been the end of April that he went. Ronald Bernier. We had called him, and by that time, I, uh, about, you know, I couldn't prove it. Both of them still denied it. But I was absolutely convinced of it, and to the point that I had one of my younger ladies in the church talk to Redacted and interview him. Berg, did she get any information out of him? Bernier. Just that Redacted shared that he had been sexually molested, that he had been beat, beat up, and severely on many, many occasions. Berg. Who is that person within the church that, uh, Bernier? Her name is Jody, uh, Bernier. She's my niece. Berg. Okay. Uh, she gave the information to me, and again I called in Bob and a Susan, and they both denied it. There had been no problems, nothing wrong. Uh, at yet that time we put Bob physically out of the church and told him he could have nothing to do with. Uh, we broke fellowship with him, and at that time he left for Mexico. I received several letters from him over a period of the next eight months. I believe I answered him twice and told him that if he would come in and absolutely tell the truth, I would do everything I could to help him. He came back and, well, whatever date, he came into jail there. And just a couple weeks before that, Berg, January 7th of 80, Bernier. It was about that, a week before that. It took a week to get him into jail. Nobody would take him. Kathy Bernier. Yeah, it was over the weekend. Berg, okay. When he came back, the, then he acknowledged that uh, the raping and the things that went on with Redacted. Berg, can you be specific as, as you possibly can as to what exactly he told you? What type of sexual acts, what, Bernier, in relation to Redacted? Berg, in relation to Bernier, that he had beat him severely, almost to the point of unconsciousness, kicking his legs out from underneath him and watching him drop to the floor, that he had raped Redacted repeatedly, that he had put a gun to his head and threatened to kill him and threatened to cut off his penis. He raped him with uh, uh, both his own penis and, and with rubber hoses. I'm trying to remember all the details. It was quite a horror story to listen to. Berg, did he tell you during that period of time the sexual assault was going on? Bernier, he said that it had been going on with him since he was a very, very little. The best he could remember, he said, it was like when he was two years old. Berg, and these were continuing, continuing acts. They weren't sporadic, continuing from the time that he was uh, two or three years old. Bernier, yeah. He had been involved in a multitude of uh, sexual problems, voyeurism. Uh, he spent a great deal of time, supposedly, uh, that he was on the highway patrol, actually involved in window peeping and uh, stopping up parked cars and anything he could get into his voyeurism or the... Berg. Okay, let's stick with this for the moment and the sexual assaults and we'll go into the other aspects of it a bit later. Bernier. He also told me there was many, many other children. Some of them he named and didn't know them personally. Berg. Okay. Did he indicate that uh, these sexual acts went on with the other children other than Redacted or is Redacted the only one that he had sexually assaulted? Bernier. Here you come to the difficult situation. With Bob, as you know, you've talked to him. Uh, with Bob, you're talking about nine different personalities at one time, and it depends on who you're talking to, 
this minute. Bob has a habit that he will say, well, I, I seem to have a picture in my mind or I seem to remember this. As soon as he says that, he absolutely did it. I've known Bob for many, many years, and as soon as he gives that clue, he did it. There's another way he puts it where he says, I don't really think so, or it, it's possibly, and uh, if, if he says that, he probably didn't do it. Like I say, I'm just, uh, I, I've been so long that you know that with his personalities, I'm getting, uh, getting to know him. And uh, the other children, he says he had a vague images of it, which to me means absolutely did it. Uh, I have no doubt of it. I also have some uh, some information on to which uh, convinces me that he was involved in it. Uh, he shared with me uh, many other children that he had uh, raped, that he had uh, been involved with. He said that he absolutely couldn't stop himself. He had tried for years to stop himself. It was impossibility. A voyeurism went so bad he couldn't stop it anymore. He was out taking walks at night, peeking into people's windows. I used to park the squad car and go off for hours involved in it, that he absolutely had no control over it and couldn't stop it. Berg. These other children that he's talking about raping, uh, do you recall any of the names that he gave you? Bernier. I remember a couple of them. Uh, he mentioned many of them, but as I said, I didn't, didn't know by name. He talked about uh, a niece and whose name I believe was redacted. He talked about some other children uh, from the Vergus area and from uh, what, uh, Blue Earth. Berg, did you record the names that he gave you at that time? Bernier, uh, no, no, you got to realize we're in two different businesses. I, I wouldn't record it. Berg, so, all right, we get him back down here and he comes into Smith County and he's arrested and you have several different conversations with him while he's incarcerated in jail. Uh, when did it first come to your attention about his possible involvement in the homicides back in Minnesota, Bernier? I believe about the second week he was here, and like I say, I could check and let you know through my records. Berg, and what exactly did he tell you? Bernier, at the time I told him uh, when he first came back to Mexico, uh, that I would do everything I could to help him, providing he told the truth, providing he would quit playing games, because Bob has a habit of playing games, and uh, he agreed to do that. He agreed that he would come in and give a full confession of his activities with his son and uh, what had taken place. Came to jail, I believe it was on the second occasion that I came to see him. I said, Bob, there's much, much more that's on your mind and there's much much go more going on here do you want to talk about it or do you want to try to keep that hidden for years too and lie about it and he said no I'll, I'll talk about it and he shared with me that there had been a young girl killed up in the county that you uh, just mentioned uh, in Fairbolt and during that visit he gave me three statements he said I killed her I think I killed her and I believe that maybe I killed her. But again, he told me he had this vision, the same thing he had had with his son, and he remembered very specifically everything that happened with him. In this vision or image, he called it, he used the same terminology, the same words when he described this girl's death. He said that one of the things that struck me is he said that 
she was a hitchhiker was absolutely he said she had been hitchhiking and she was picked up and she was brought to this area and as I say I found out later there was no way he could have known that she was a hitchhiker he told me that uh, she and had been tortured and raped and uh, her neck she was she was strangled and then she was thrown in a ditch with some water in it as he finished the story I said did you do it and he said yes I did it and I said did you do it alone or with someone else and he said well my partner and I used to go there all the time and this is the place that we parked and I said did did he do it with you and he said well I really don't know I'm not sure and then Bob went back into playing his little game thing and then he told me about another homicide in another county where the girl had her head blown off. She also had been tortured and wound up with her head blown off, and he felt that he was probably involved with that one, too. That one I really didn't question him at a great length about because he was already starting to play the game. What he was saying very clearly was, look, if you go over and tell Melody that I did these homicides and you get me some psychiatric care... And one by one, I'll begin to reveal it. But this is what he was looking for, and I never went to visit him after that, because I had told him to begin with. If he started playing the games, I wouldn't go along with it. And when he started lying about it, I was never going back to see him. Those two homicides he did tell me about. The first one told me he absolutely did it. Berg. Now, both of the occasions you met with him here in the jail... Was the story consistent to one another? Bernier. Oh, yes, absolutely. Berg. Did he talk about when we talked to him and he told us that he had this girl out in the field kneeling down with no clothes and someone standing beside her strangling her with a cord? Bernier. Yes, yes. Berg. And one of the things I believe you said before we had the tape recorder on... Uh, your interpretation or from your past experience in conversations and incidences which you have been able to document that you have formed an opinion as to what he means when he says I think or the images and so forth Bernier yes Berg can you explain it for the record Bernier it had been my experience with Bob that uh, in the years I have known him every single time he said when I have his vision or this picture or see myself or I think every single time it's turned out that it was an absolute it seems to be Bob's way of saying look I did this without dealing with the responsibility of it it's always the third party if you would uh, uh, God told me I did this thing and you know I, I must have did it because the Lord said so but he's not totally involved it's more or less God's fault for telling him you know and he uh he sees these visions of himself doing this thing, and again, it's really not clear. It's not the total responsibility of where I absolutely did this thing, and I'm accountable for it. it seems to be his cop-out, his way out. Well, Bob is a very, very sick person. Anything would drive him over the edge. Berg. On what? On what basis do you make that statement, Ron? Vernier. Many years of knowing him very close of counseling him for many hours and of hearing his confessions and hearing his testimony, of knowing where he's been. Berg, 
What's your educational background, Bernier? I'm an eighth grade cop out, Berg. So it's basically Bernier. I obtained a GED then at two and a half years of college, Berg. You're not a licensed psychologist, Bernier. No, Berg. Okay, you are a licensed ordained minister, Bernier. Yes, I am, Berg. Okay. I am a 50133 tax-exempt government certified minister. Berg. Okay, well, we'll conclude this statement at 1343. End of statement. Bureau of Criminal Apprehension Supplemental Report 33188 0930 hours Agent Berg Subject Leroy Nelson Date of birth 8846 Currently incarcerated at the Smith County Jail in Tyler, Texas Personnel assigned Special Agent Robert A. Berg Minnesota BCA Sheriff Roger Fletcher and Chief Deputy Jerry Cabe Faribault County Sheriff's Office and Sheriff Gerald Nutt Martin County Sheriff's Office on 3-31-88 at 9-30, Robert Leroy Nelson, date of birth 8-8-46, was interviewed by the above individuals at the Smith County Sheriff's Office in Tyler, Texas. Nelson was read his rights, consented, and agreed to talk. It was explained to Nelson that we were there to talk about two unsolved homicides in Minnesota. As for the two homicides which occurred in southern Minnesota in Martin and Faribault County, Mr. Nelson again states that he has no independent memory or recollection of the homicides. However, he has visions similar to that of the incest between himself and his father and that of his son. As for the Fairbolt County Jane Doe homicide, he states that the image that he sees is a Caucasian female on her knees nude with someone standing alongside her strangling her with some type of cord or rope. He advises that he cannot see it very clearly and as a result can give no physical description of the female or recognize what her face looks like. He states that in this image, the death occurred in a field and that the body was placed in some type of ditch with water in it. He goes on to advise that the area where the body was disposed of was along I-90, approximately three miles east of Blue Earth, or 169 exit. Should be noted in fact, the body of Jane Doe was found six miles east of 169 exit. When specifically asked if he believed that he was involved in the death of Jane Doe, Mr. Nelson stated that he may have had something to do with her death. However, he is not sure if he did it, whether he was watching someone do it, or someone told him that they killed her. Later in the interview, Mr. Nelson stated that he has an independent recollection of Chief Deputy Jerry Cabe showing him a photograph of the body during autopsy and remembers that she had medium-length brown hair. When advised that the head of hair had been shaved with exception of a small tuft at the back of the head, he advises that he cannot reconcile the differences and states that he believes that memory of the hair was from the photograph which he had been shown. Mr. Nelson was asked about articles of clothing or identification that may have been on the body and states that he has no recollection whatsoever of what happened to those items. He goes on to advise that as far as he can recall, he worked a Memorial Day holiday and that the following day he and his wife Susan had driven up to Detroit Lakes to look at the area in anticipation of transferring to the area. He advises that he was not on the scene where the body of Jane Doe was recovered 
nor did he do any specific work or investigation regarding the death of Jane Doe. He states that he did have conversations with Trooper Richard Hall and other deputies from Faribault County area regarding that homicide, but he does not specifically recall what those individuals told him. As for the Martin County homicide of Joanne Bonches, Mr. Nelson states that he has no independent recollection or images of that homicide. He states that he was on duty the day of her disappearance and also the day that her body was discovered and that he had taken part in some of the searches was at the scene where the body was located. When asked what connection he may have or information he may have regarding that homicide, he states that he has no specific information. However, it is his belief that his ex-trooper from Fairmont, Minnesota may have had something to do with her death. He states that reason for his belief is that the trooper had so many more personal and psychological problems than he, Nelson, did and felt that he may have had something to do with their death. Mr. Nelson states that he will cooperate fully with the investigators regarding the death of Jane Doe and pass along any information that he can recall. He states that if he was involved in the death, that he is willing to accept the responsibility and suffer the consequences for it. He states that he knows that he needs help psychologically and that will do whatever he can to resolve the issues of her death as well as the death of Joanne Bonches. Mr. Nelson was requested to provide samples of his head and pubic hair for analytical purposes and consents to do so. Following is an excerpt from a report by a county agent uh, after visiting the uh, home of Mrs. Nelson on 1020 of 1987. This is while Mr. Nelson was in Mexico and after the hospitalization of one of their children. Mrs. Nelson seemed very appropriate, but she was guarded in the remarks she made about her involvement in their church. I could not tell whether she was attempting to withhold information or was simply not wanting to discuss her religious beliefs. She did say that her children are homeschooled because of their religion. Her husband continues to be involved in Mexico with a religious program where he has access to children. According to Mrs. Nelson, Redacted told her that his father began sexually abusing him when he was small enough to sit beside the sink while his father shaved. It began with oral sex and continued for years with sexual activity which included anal intercourse. I interviewed Redacted first and the child denied any form of sexual abuse by anyone. She also denied having seen any kind of touching between her brothers and anyone else. The child seemed believable. When I tried to interview Redacted, he refused to stay in the room with me. He clung to his mother's legs when she tried to convince him to talk to me alone. Finally, I asked her to go ahead and sit in on the interview. Redacted denied that he had ever been touched in ways that made him feel uncomfortable. But when I asked if he had ever seen this happen to anyone else, he buried his head in his mother's lap. When I asked him again about what he had seen, he looked at his mother and said, nothing happened to me. In August 30th of 1988, a Smith County jury found Robert Nelson guilty of two counts of aggravated criminal sexual conduct. On August 31st of 1988, the Smith County jury sentenced Robert Leroy Nelson to a term of life imprisonment with the Texas Department of Corrections. Charges in the state of Minnesota, Faribault County, are pending. And one more footnote before we wrap things up. Robert Nelson's wife, Susan, divorced Robert and married Pastor Vincent Ganucci in April of 1990 
and divorced in 2006, where she married another member of the church in April of that year. Susan passed away in Branson, Missouri in 2022. On the next episode of Shadows of the Midwest, Secrets of County Ditch Number 5, Robert Nelson returns to Minnesota in a sort of homecoming. Thank you for listening to Shadows of Midwest. And please remember to leave a like or review on your favorite podcast platform. Also visit our YouTube page along with our Facebook page for additional in-depth information and updates. Additional music was provided by Matt Webb and the Hutchinson Effect. Shadows of the Midwest was written and produced by Joe Kistner and a production of Just Past Nowhere Productions, LLC, 2023.